0: Schmidt, it's Woodward, you're listening to Divorced and Done. We are two lawyers that sit in front of mics and we talk to you about family law stuff from a Canadian perspective. We enjoy doing it. We are friends, we are colleagues, and we want you to sit around the table with us to chew the fat about questions, about topics, about things going on in your life, because It means a lot to us that you're with us. So thank you for being here. Rob, uh, we're back again for another episode. We're going to fill it with answers for listener questions. I know you're excited for that, but aside from that, how are you doing?
1: Darren Schmidt, I am so well to be here with you and our ever-expanding audience. Uh, You and I know we get some internal statistics on our podcast. And we have seen some growth lately. If you've been with us for a long time, we appreciate you immensely. But if you're new, welcome and thank you for being here. And hopefully whatever information we convey to you in this podcast, it is not legal advice, but hopefully it's helpful to you navigating your divorce more quickly and efficiently, as we used to say, so you don't bankrupt yourself emotionally or financially. And if you want to send us any questions, you can do it via email to lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com, or you can send us a voicemail, and we'll bump you to the front of the line to SpeakPipe.com slash Divorced and Done, A-N-D, Done, Divorced and Done. And you can hear your voice on this show just like you get to hear from us. Uh, so thanks to all of our listeners for being here. And we have a lot of
0: questions to tackle, so we will roll into them. Uh, Do you want to read the first question? You betcha. Let's get into question one. Listener says, hello, hello. We hope you're well. I'm a big fan of your TikTok. Well, thank you. You probably found it through my TikTok. That is a great way to find us or see other legal stuff that I do out there. So check it out. Uh, we'll be following your podcast going forward. Well, thank you very much. Uh, my question's this. I have primary custody of my daughter who's age nine. Her mother has visits once monthly on the third weekend of each month. She has three other children. The mother has been in a downward spiral for a few years with mental health and drug addiction problems and is now living in a bus with, uh, intermittent power and no water or sewer. I know the ministry, uh, what the listener means is the Ministry of Children and Family Development or Child Protective Services, whatever it may be called, is involved and one of her other children has been removed from her care. The Child Protective Services can't provide me with information regarding the issue due to privacy. I have safety concerns regarding my daughter and the conditions her mother is living in. How do I navigate not breaching my order to allow visitation without knowingly sending my daughter into deplorable conditions or as the way to get the child protective services to share relevant information regarding my daughter's safety while in her mother's care. Uh, the mother's involvement has been reduced. This is just for context, uh, been reduced over and over again over the last five years as her situation has worsened. Thank you. All right. So we got a mother living apparently in a bus or RV or something like that. And there's one weekend a month. We don't know whether that's a Friday and Saturday or just a Saturday, but some weekend parenting time. And the listener's concerned about what's going on when the nine-year-old daughter that they share is in her care. Rob, what do you think?
1: I'll be necessarily brief. Uh, it's not clear whether this file is in active litigation, although mom's involvement with the child has been reduced again and again, as the listener suggests. So, I'm not a parenting expert, but we are lawyers that deal with parenting problems. Uh, Living in a bus with intermittent power, no water, and no sewer is concerning. Um, But if this parent has another child in care and another child's been removed, hopefully there is an active social worker involved with this parent who also knows you and that you can speak with that social worker and say, these are my concerns other than just going to court. But of course, if the ministry is doing nothing for you and those social workers aren't communicating with you and you do have Active concerns from the conditions you've seen, Mom living in, not just what you've heard or what you might think be or what you think is happening, but from what you know from your own evidence, it may be worth taking this back into court. And if you are looking for more information uh, about the file. Uh, around the other child that's been removed from your parents' care from the other parents' care you may or may not be successful in seeking that file but it could be relevant to your matter and it's not clear whether you're in Alberta or BC but because you said ministry I'll assume you're in BC if this was an Alberta matter you'd be seeking to make a disclosure application From the uh, uh, Child and Family Services here in Alberta under our Family Law Act. And there's a specific statutory test and regime that you have to satisfy in our legislation, basically requesting what information you want, uh, what's going on with the other parent, and why it's important that you receive that information. It's a high test. It used to be easier to get this sort of disclosure uh, in years prior. Uh, It's been a long time since. I have done one of those, but there are certain circumstances in which if the ministry isn't providing you information saying, sorry, privacy issues, you may be able to get that. But for you, from the sounds of the question, it's not necessarily maybe so much going after mom here because she has three other children, lots of other issues going on. It's exclusively about your child. And I think the quickest and most direct path for you, if you have new and fresh concerns, obviously phone phone, uh, the ministry, talk to the social worker if you're not in contact with any of those social workers, or of course, Uh, make a court application to say if there are active concerns and the parenting time is just too much and problematic while your child is uh, with your ex, then that needs to be brought to attention in court so that mom's parenting time can again be revisited, as you suggest has happened again and
0: again over the last five years. Darren Schmidt, what do you think? I love it. And uh, the one thing I would say that I maybe don't love is the difference in legal tests between BC and Alberta to get Child Protective Services records. You and I have discussed this off this podcast, but it's a good chance to maybe talk about it now. The test in BC to get Child Protective Services or Ministry of Children and Family Development Services records is very easy. You basically just make the application. And it's been my experience, unless there's really exceptional circumstances, the lawyer from the ministry, wherever that may be, because there's various lawyers assigned in various cities, almost inevitably says, we will take no position on that application when you go to court. In fact, we won't even show up to court. I've had that experience. I'm just speaking anecdotally. So this is not a universal truth in BC. But they basically, in my experience, have taken the, the, the position that they take No position, meaning they won't even show up. And you basically Mm -hmm. tell the judge, I want these records. They will then make the order and the ministry will comply with giving you the records within the requisite time set out in the order. Typically, it takes them a month or two to get the records to you and away you go. Alberta, you've already described the test, which is vastly different.
1: Well, (laughs) and it, it is a high bar and not, I don't want to jump off answering the question. My experience in Alberta, we had similar, very similar to this fact pattern. It was representing one parent. The other parent had other children removed from their care, and that question, in my mind, was relevant to whether that person could continue to be a parent of the child relevant in the litigation. And the court in that case, this was some years ago, said no, it wasn't, and the production was denied.
0: Yeah. So, um, assuming this is a BC matter, you could probably get those records easier than if you're seated in Alberta. But I mean, more broadly, you have to ask. Do you want to upset the apple cart? Is it It worth it? Sounds like you do. Sounds like you want to take that approach. But if you make the application for ministry records, your ex is going to, excuse me, get their backup. And it's going to lead to further fighting. And your child's nine. So she's going to be able to detect the conflict. And there's a whole host of sort of non-legal but emotional factors you have to consider in all of this as to whether or not you wanna take that step of getting the records in the hopes of once getting those records, stripping back mom's parenting time by further or subsequent court order at a later date. So once you take that step, you're in for a penny, in for a pound, you wanna get the ministry records, you're then going for a second application upon getting those records very likely to strip back mom's parenting time. That's a multi-month, if not year-long process to finally get that matter resolved. It could even be longer than a year. It's going to be if you have a lawyer, you know, likely in the tens of thousands of dollars, you have to weigh all that against how bad is the bus, how bad are the living conditions, how bad do you really think mom is? Is this something that you two can work out separately such that you can maybe put by consent certain parameters around mom's parenting time, maybe not supervised parenting time, but some other safety checks in place to ensure that the parenting time is going satisfactorily. Uh, and that your daughter is enjoying her time with her mom in a way that is appropriate, if that makes any sense. So um, we wish you all the best. Thank you for the question. Let's go to our next one. All right. Listener says, hi, hello. I'm currently going through a divorce and my ex spouse is trying to claim low income. He's paying $723 a month in child support for two kids. And I have primary parenting. He is a 49% shareholder in a solar company. He is also a Red Seal journeyman electrician who recently got his master's ticket. His personal income tax he provided shows he earns $30,000 a year, in which he was paid through dividends from the company. The retained earnings in the company, according to their balance sheet, was over $250,000. To add to this confusion, he receives $4,000 a month, I'm assuming from his company, which would equal $48,000 a year. We are trying to settle this amicably through lawyers, but I feel like I'm really getting nowhere. Please help as to how I can get a better support payment, possibly without going to court. Well, this is a great question, and thank you for being necessarily short and brief and pointed in how you've laid this out. It's very helpful to us. So we have a shareholder payor in a solar company with retained earnings of $250,000 a year, likely gleaned through disclosure of the company's unaudited financial statements. He shows on his personal income tax return income of $30,000 a year with, un, I'm going to assume, additional unspecified Uh, payments from the company of $48,000 a year likely identified somewhere on the personal income tax return. And this listener wants to get this done amicably and not go to court. We tip our caps to you on that front. Rob, what do you think? I'll be necessarily brief again, hopefully.
1: Um, I shouldn't say that when I don't know that I'm going to be brief. (laughs) Dad here is receiving a blended payment, it seems, of both dividends and salary, Um, potentially. The retained earnings in the company are high. The one thing we don't know, he's a 49% shareholder in the solar company. Who's the other 51% shareholders in the company? We don't know whether it's one other person or whether it's multiple people who's involved. We don't know. So that's a really important piece to know. That aside, if this was just his company alone, and for the sake of answering this question, I'll assume uh, there's just another 51% shareholder. Maybe it's a business partner uh, in that venture. Looking at the materials you've been provided, uh, starting place for child support is always someone's personal tax return. And that's in our child support guidelines. Toward the end of those guidelines, and Darren, you will speak to this better than I will, I believe it's sections 14, 15, and 16 uh, are the process for evaluating income when we look at someone's income beyond their personal tax return and look to corporate returns in doing an analysis of whether that income is reasonable. Without being too technical, we know there's lots of things that people can deduct from corporate income. Uh, For CRA purposes, that are valid for tax, that are not valid valid personal deductions that have some personal element that may be added back that grosses up uh, somebody's income or increases their income to what it should be. And the one thing that does jump out is the notion of this company having retained earnings of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. We don't know what the gross what this company is doing annually. That may be a big share of uh, what the company does annually, or it may not be. Uh, the one practical piece of advice I could give this listener, because you're suggesting you're trying to settle this amicably through lawyers, but going nowhere, it may be worth the spend. If his lawyer is going nowhere, your lawyer's not really pushing anything, or you're not happy with the direction, is taking the materials you've received from the company, and you've received from your ex, and having potentially a guideline income report prepared. Mm-hmm. And you can have those prepared um, by some accounting firms, uh, even some bigger firms like BD, BDO or MNP, not to make a recommendation one way or the other. Uh, bigger accounting firms will take that information and they have folks that work for them, accountants, uh, that do the work of looking at all the information you've received and suggesting what is a reasonable income for this person based on what we know about the company, what's in the tax returns, what shares he has in that company, so that your child support can be appropriately set. In my experience, those reports are usually anywhere from two to about five thousand dollars. But if you're dealing with Potentially years of arrears uh, going back and even going forward, that could be a really valuable spend. Because, Darren, and I think one of the biggest struggles I have, and you and I have talked about this a few times, people come to us with potentially somewhat complex corporate returns and say, Well, can you just figure it out? And, well, we can make suggestions, sort of where we think things could go. We're not accountants and we don't give tax advice. And yeah, we can sit there with our calculators and try and sort of guess and make suggestions. And there are cases in court where courts have done that. Uh, That's generally with where there's only one shareholder and one director. If someone has a personal services company, you may or may not need a guideline income report. But in my practice, I generally do recommend it because then you're having an accountant do that work and you can feel fairly confident in the number they give you uh, to take that number from that expert report, go forward, go into litigation or back to settlement conferences uh, to hopefully get to the right number. Because once you have a number for somebody's income, it's not hard on that base Section 3 child support to say, this is what you should be paying. Darren Schmidt, what are your thoughts?
0: I love your idea of a guideline income report in this case. I did do a very kind of reverse engineer calculation on how much his income would be set at to result in a $723 a month payment for two children. We don't know what province the payor resides in, which of course would dictate what table we're doing. In terms of figuring this out, but I just assumed Ontario because that's where uh, most people live in Canada. I could be totally wrong. Regardless, the number won't be totally different. But to get about seven hundred and twenty-three dollars a month for two children, if you live in Ontario, the income would be forty-nine thousand dollars a year. So at first blush, without knowing any more, my gut says that he's underpaying in child support. Now I don't know. I don't know all the facts. But $49,000 a year for someone who has a Red Seal certification as an electrician, it would strike me that they are possibly underemployed. Now, I don't know where this solar company stands. I don't know how much of his time is dedicated to this. If there's other people involved in the company, as you say, Rob, you know who's doing what? How much of the heavy lifting is being done by others? Is this just a failing enterprise that he's just uh, unable to give up on? And it's a sinking ship that they're not willing to totally let sink quite yet. No idea. But if we just stand back and we look at it at its core, we have a certified tradesperson who's paying $723 a month for two children with an income of around $49,000 to get to that number. I think figuring out what an appropriate amount is from an expert is a really good spend of money. And your estimation, Rob, of two to $5,000 to get a guideline income report for the payor in this case is probably a really good spend of money. And the listener specifically asks, how can we go about getting a better support payment without possibly going to court? Well, let's let an expert figure out what the payer's income should be set at for the purpose of calculating child support by digging into the financials of the business. I think that'd be an excellent first step. If I'm the listener, I would pivot on this and maybe ask their lawyer, about what it would take to appoint an expert in this case, not knowing whether anything's been filed yet or not, but just getting a jointly retained expert of some sort to do a qualified expert report on the guideline income for the payer would be an excellent next step. Now that report's going to take a few months, but it at least gets the ball rolling. It's not an adversarial step. It doesn't mean that you know the gloves are off and we're fighting. It just means... We can't agree on what an appropriate income is. The lawyers are blind as to what that should be rather than asking a judge to make that decision anytime soon. Let's get an expert to help us. I think that's an awesome step. And that would, I I would just carry that forward. Coming on the heels of Rob's comments, his sage information that he always provides because he's the best. We all know he's the best. He lets us know all the time that he's the best because of his bravado. I, 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 I hope not. Is. Jeez. And um, uh, I am the narcissist. Yikes. <laughs> narc. That's what we call uh, Rob behind his back. Rob. Wow. wow. <clears throat> anyway, uh, to your back to the question. Get that expert reporter. At least strongly think about it because I think that's a great next step. All right, Let's get to our next question. This this listener submitted a couple questions, so we'll try and get to both of them. They're submitted in separate emails. You can do that, I suppose. It's not a breach of our rules, but we'll let it slide this time. All right, Let's get into it. Hello, thanks for your podcast. Well, hey, thanks for listening. It's been great to listen and learn more of the process as I go. Well, we love having you along for the ride. I have a few questions, so let's get into it. Uh, let's do some background. I cohabited with a common law partner and after an accidental pregnancy, and we are now common law. During the relationship, he moved into my home, which I later sold. We rented for a year, and then I used the proceeds to purchase a new home using a down payment, and I am the sole person on title. He paid minimal rent during this time, and we had an absolute agreement that he would not be acquiring any equity in my home should we separate. I took care of certain renos and upkeep in the home while we lived there. He also maintained a condo for the entire duration of our relationship, sold it, and he kept those proceeds to himself. I am in Manitoba and I'm told that since I live in Manitoba, he is entitled to half of the entire down payment made on the house that they bought, despite our agreement, which he now uh, refutes. uh, And this wasn't in writing. and that that this listener says she's told that an unequal property division in Manitoba is a difficult concept to prove. She then specifically asks, how can unjust enrichment be proven? The down payment was substantial and I will be in a much worse financial situation than when the relationship started compared to him. I have some knowledge of case law from other provinces to prove that I might be entitled to an unjust enrichment claim. And court, but how can this be applied in my jurisdiction in Manitoba? Just for reference, our relationship was six years long and I spent the better part of a year trying to remove him from my home. All right, to quickly condense this, the parties get together, they have a child, they uh, sell a house that she owned exclusively in her name. She applied all of the sale proceeds from what we understand as a down payment towards a house that was then put into her name but that they lived in and they subsequently separate. And she is now of the view through whatever means, perhaps legal advice, perhaps reviewing the internet, that she may have to forfeit the equity in this house to him, or at least one half of the portion of it. I will say before turning this over to Rob, that it is certainly a province-specific inquiry. Neither Rob nor I are Manitobans, and we don't practice in Manitoba, but maybe Rob, without uh, pinning you down to anything, we can talk just generally about the concept of equal division and the notion of moving away from that presumption generally depend, no matter where you are, I think it, we, we can say that the presumption is to divide equally and the onus would then be on the person to prove for an unequal division why it would be appropriate to unequally divide. Um, so with that, what do you think?
1: I agree. Um, We're not Manitoba lawyers. So the notion of digging into this from a Manitoba perspective, we can't specifically do that. But the one thing I don't like with the listener here is doing, she's not fighting from her strongest position. So she's sort of saying, oh, no, he wants half the poem proceeds. What can I do? I look at a key sentence here. He maintained a condo for the entire duration of the relationship, sold it, and kept the proceeds? Uh, No, he's not keeping the proceeds. In my mind, if he's coming after half the value of the home... I want to know what happened with those condo proceeds and I'd want to do some tracing there, which means where is the money from that condo? If it still exists, does he have it sitting in an account? Cause I'd want that on the table too. In terms of, uh, unjust enrichment, generally the, the process of unjust enrichment or the principle of it is showing that he would get more than what he deserves. Uh, if he received, were to receive half the proceeds of your property and in that situation it really depends on what those specific um, family property act looks like in Manitoba so I can't really comment the only thing I would say is in addition to make sure the condo proceeds are on the table if we're, we are indeed looking at all of the proceeds from the home while you were in together uh, and make sure if your home proceeds are on the
0: table, everything's on the table. And that's it. What do you think, Darren? The knife cuts both ways. Yeah. Like the great Bobby Darren song, Mack the Knife. Knife cuts both ways. You got to, uh, you're right. You got to look at this and say, well, where did his sale proceeds go from the sale of his condo? Offshore? Crypto? Who knows? Let's find it. Let's find where the money is and uh, say, hey, you got to cough up half of that too. Because uh, like I say, the knife cuts both ways. So um, more generally, just at its broadest, I think all provinces have moved towards a presumption of equal division of everything acquired through the relationship. But that doesn't foreclose the possibility of raising unequal division arguments. And I'll just raise the test, at least in BC, to unequally divide, you'd have to prove that to to equally divide would be significantly unfair. And that test is under Section 95 of our Family Law Act. So the Family Law Act, specifically in BC at least, allows unequal division. All you have to show is significant unfairness. Now, to show significant unfairness, it's a high threshold, but it's possible. Okay and I, and I don't want to say I have no doubt that a similar type of process exists in Manitoba because it's possible that it doesn't that everything is just automatically equally divided in Manitoba but I doubt that that's the case and I would assume without knowing any more that the possibility exists for unequal division if you wanted to make that claim if you want to make the claim though You have to be prepared to march down the litigation path and say we're going to spend a whole bunch of money and time and have a trial. So how much is there actually at stake and is the juice worth the squeeze? Is it worth going to a multi-day trial to prove your unequal division claim or should we be going down the rob path, the, the brilliant rob path, because he's the best. He says, go find the money from the condo and force that issue. And I love that approach because it actually is the smartest approach of all. And ask for that disclosure on all of that and say, yeah, everything's on the table. The knife cuts both ways indeed. So we hope that helps. Uh, we'll get to the follow-up question perhaps on, a, on, on another episode, but that takes us to three questions, Rob. I think that, uh, that marks, a, marks an episode, another successful mission
1: it was a great time thank you to everybody for being with us darren schmidt thank you for being with me and again if you're new thank you for being with us uh lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com or speakpipe.com slash divorced and done this has been divorced and done and we look forward to being with you again divorce obviously sucks but at least it only
0: 20 20 dollar divorce Let's get a 2020 20 dollar divorce We can save money and split our stuff We'll both pitch in ten bucks I saw this ad on the side of a truck and then it, it seems totally legit right like uh oh, no, we can trust the truck app for legal advice, it's, it's, right? It's, like it's no, no red, red flags Let's get a 2020, 2020, 20, $20 to vote. Let's get a 2020, 2020, $20 divorce. 20, 20, $20 Let's get a 2020, 2020, 20, dollars $20 to vote. Let's get a 2020, 2020, 20, dollars
1: okay. 20, 20, $20.